I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. The blood work changed radically, so radically on these dogs that at the end, after a year, the vets were saying, you know, if you really wanted to, to know, to understand, you'd put these dogs back on kibble. But the ethics committee at the university can't even participate in that because the blood work was so bad on kibble and had gotten so much better on our food that they didn't want to do it. That was Sean Buckley, founder of Just Food for Dogs, the world's first pet food kitchen serving fresh whole foods to cats and dogs around the country, and the only pet food that has been proven healthy through extensive research trials. Sean will discuss how and why he started Just Food for Dogs, the extra measures they take to ensure that their food is formulated to be as healthy and safe as possible, and their new partnership with Petco to bring the kitchen experience to Petco locations nationwide. Now let's get back to Sean. Sean, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So Just Food for Dogs, how did that get started? Just Food for Dogs got started in 2010 because I accidentally found out what's allowed to be in dog food. You know, I used to say what's in dog food. Now I say what's allowed to be in dog food because we don't really know in most cases. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so, you know, the, um, the agency, if you will, that oversees everything in our business is called AFCO. And um, they, uh, they tell us what we're allowed to put in food and what we're allowed to call it, things like that. And it's scary uh, what's, what's allowed to, you know, be put in food. What, what we as a pet food processor, and technically that's what we are, we don't really see ourselves that way, but that's technically what we are. We're allowed to put things like poultry feces in the food. It's listed in the official ingredients as long as we dehydrate it to the moisture content less than 17%, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's pretty crazy what, what can go in food. Now what actually goes in, I don't know. But. <laughs> and why is that? Oh, that's, uh, that is the uh, almost $31 billion question now, um, which is the size of the uh, dog and cat food business in the United States. Um, I think my theory is that uh, the profit margins are incredible and uh, the, what are called the K-1 reports of a lot of these public companies that dictate you know, what is allowed to go in the food and what it's allowed to be called through AFCO because AFCO is private, it's not a government agency. You know, they, 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 wanna, they wanna keep the profits rolling in. So I think that's what their main, I mean, bluntly, I think that's their primary concern. Has the situation changed at all over time or is it still where it was when you started? Oh, it's pretty much where it, it's the entire time we've been in business. Now, it may well have changed over the decades. Um, I, don't, I don't know prior to us, but you know, the, the business is, is it's old and it's established and it's based primarily in kibble. And uh, you know, kibble is something that is not natural. You know, uh, dogs are not the only, uh, you know, uh, animals in the animal kingdom that should be eating a little brown pellet, uh, as it turns out. But if you think about it in those terms, it's sort of light bulb goes on. Wait a minute. Why do they eat little brown pellets? You know, why is there meat in a bag at room temperature for a year? 
I mean, you shouldn't put meat in a bag for more than an hour, <laughs> much less for a year. Right. And um, the story to that is long and, and daunting, but it, it goes back to, you know, uh, when it became, when, when there was a time when the U.S. government said nothing should be put into cans, that doesn't have, absolutely have to be put into cans. And that was during the war. And that's when uh, Purina created uh, kibble. They, they created a machine called the extruder. And in, some people say it was supposed to be temporary. Um, but here we are, 60 years later, and we still have kibble. What led you to look into that back when you were starting? I was just, I think I was just bored. And, <laughs> um, and, I, and I, um, I had sold a company, and I was doing nothing for a bit, uh, intentionally. And I remember my dog was eating the lamb meal and rice. It was like a purple bag of a popular brand. And uh, they ran out. And so I got the yellow bag, which was the chicken. And I remember specifically it was the same price. And I thought, that's kind of weird. I mean, I didn't really care that much about the price. But I'm just one of those people that for whom weird information like that, like, I know that lamb costs more than chicken. So why? Wanted to investigate that. <laughs> yeah. So why would it be like that? And the answer is there's no lamb in the lamb and there's no chicken in the chicken. So not the way you right. and I would say it. It would be in air quotes, chicken, air quotes, lamb. And so you began investigating, and yeah. that's when you realized. Yeah, what do they call chicken? And what is, what, does, what is the definition of chicken if it's pet food? What is the definition of lamb if it's pet food? There's literally no processing plant in the United States, none, ever, zero, that says, okay, this many lamb chops are going to go to Whole Foods, and this many lamb chops are going to go to XYZ Pet Food Company. It is only hide, hair, nose, ears, eyes, you know, all the things that hoof, the things that people do not eat is what ends up in the pet food. And while gross, that wouldn't even bother me if it was healthy for my dog, but it's not healthy. That's the other bad part. So what was the process like of starting this? Were you an entrepreneur before with your previous company? Yeah, I, I, I this is my fourth company um, since I was pretty young. And, uh, but the only one that I really loved in love, you know, the others were business opportunities and that was great. Um, but this one is close to my heart. So, you know, I'm, I'm a major, major dog and rescue fan. And, um, in part, we started the company because, you know, it would give us an opportunity to do things for, for dogs to make their lives better. Sounds like a marketing line or something you're supposed to say <laughs> on podcasts, but in our case, it really is true. I mean, we, we, every single day we ask ourselves what's best for dogs. And, and so that's kind of how it got started. Uh, what was that process like once you had that realization with starting this new type of dog food company? It genuinely started with what we can do to make you know, dogs' lives better, but it was also kind of a big question mark. It, you know, uh, I went into this with a couple of old friends that, you know, we've been doing business together for a long time. And I was honest with them and said, you know, this is less about starting a company and it's more like a market test. And market test is gonna cost a lot because we have to build a kitchen and we have to make, it has to be open to the public and all of this. And I have no idea if anybody's gonna show up. And so in Orange County, California, we built the world's first dog kitchen, started in 2010. And the construction was done in January of 2011, we opened. And people came, and they came in a big way. So the kitchen, if you look at the pounds of food that the kitchen was developed to make, it equates to about $150,000 a month worth of food. And I figured 
if we get to $150,000 a month in dog food, then we're going to have a problem, but we're going to have a really good problem. And we got there, and we got there very, very quickly, so we opened a second one, and then a third, and a fourth, et cetera, et cetera. And so, as you said, that's the first kitchen of that of its type. What led you to go down that path rather than just the traditional creating food, sending it to stores? Yeah, there's, um, and that's the, you're right, that is the typical path. Um, because we wanted to control it, and there wasn't really anyone that was making pet food from human-grade food at that time. So in 2010, if you were to describe USDA-certified ingredients for humans, but nutritionally balanced by a vet for dogs, there was literally no one doing it. Uh, you know, if we, if I guess if we want to be heady, we could say we, we invented this category. And um, so there wasn't like a place you could go to do that. So I'm not sure we had a lot of choices, but we also thought people are going to want to see it made. You know, I called every pet food maker in the U.S. just about and some in Canada and invited myself to come and take a tour. Not one will let you through the door. <laughs> Nobody is showing you what they do. So that was another driving factor. It's like, we've got to be transparent. We've got to open up a kitchen. And the kitchen can't be in the back. The kitchen has to be in the front. So when you walk into a Just Food for Dogs, the kitchen's always right in the front. And there's nothing fake and there's nothing uh, you know, showy about it. It's an operating kitchen. And they're making a couple thousand pounds of food a day there. What was the process of coming up with the recipes? Yeah, the process to come up with the recipes was do it wrong to begin <laughs> with, uh, because I was definitely doing it wrong. In the early days, when we first started, we were just doing it wrong. I was doing it wrong for my own dogs, and frankly, we were probably doing it wrong for the public because you can't make nutritionally balanced food for dogs from food alone. They'd have to eat their own body weight every day in food. So after, well, from the time we opened, I, was, uh, I had found the vet that I knew that we wanted. I had identified him and targeted him. Um, his name was Dr. Oscar Chavez, and he was a professor in clinical canine nutrition running the animal health sciences department of a major university. Boom. Mm -hmm. Just like the exact guy you want if you want to do what I was doing. And it took me a few months after opening to convince him that, <laughs> Oscar, we're doing this wrong. You've got to, if for no other reason, you've got to help us so that we <laughs> do it right. And uh, he started working for us part time. And then within less than a year, he left his tenured position as a professor and came and joined us. And he's been with us ever since. Awesome. We now have, we're just hiring our 11th vet right now, um, which will be a full-time position in New York. Um, and so we're interviewing vets. And so we're, we're very vet-centric, if you will. That's obviously amazing and unique to you guys. I don't think all these dog food companies now that are going down this path have vets formulating and creating. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I actually, you know, at the risk, again, of sounding egotistical, I don't think there's anybody doing what we're doing. So we're the only pet food company in the United States of any size, including Purina, including M&M Mars, um, that have been able to prove that our food is healthy. So on our label, it says proven healthy. The label's a legal document. And if you want to say something like that on your label, you have to not just point at research, but the research that you point at has to be your own custom research, not executed by you, but executed by an outside party, usually a university. In our case, 
two universities. And then even that isn't enough. It has to be published in a scientific journal. Our research meets all of those uh, requirements. So it is upon that research that we did, which was feeding a group of dogs for a year our food and, and taking their blood on a weekly basis and so on, directed by two PhDs in animal nutrition that don't work for just food for dogs, that we make that statement. And so we're really, really proud of that. We have a lot of like onlys and firsts that are under the surface. So, um, for example, if you have an MBA, you know, there's only, there's over 200 universities in the United States where you can get an MBA. But if you have a doctorate degree in veterinary medicine, there's only 28. That's not a lot. Of the 28, there's one that utilizes an outside source to teach their nutrition course. So if you're a fourth year vet student at Western University, you don't report to building A or building you know, three, you report to the headquarters at Just Food for Dogs in Irvine, California, because we teach that class. Um, we're also licensed by the CVMA, the California Vet Medical Association, to teach veterinarians and give them their CE hours, their professional hours. Uh, on an annual basis. Um, so we're steeped in the world of nutrition. Um, you know, even the local ABC, NBC, CBS, and, you know, in California, uh, in San Francisco and LA, if they have questions, they generally will call us. We're the go-to for um, pet nutrition. And just jumping back to those research studies, what did those show? So when the blood work was taken and you were watching these dogs over the air, what came out of that? Yeah, without getting overly technical unless you want to, in a nutshell, what it did was it, it, it uh, was able, we were able to prove that the immune system in dogs, or boost, we boost the immune system in dogs in a healthy way compared to premium kibble. If you go into it deep, it's pretty crazy. It's the, the blood work changed radically, so radically on these dogs that at the end, after a year, the vets were saying, you know, if you really wanted to, to know, to understand, you'd put these dogs back on kibble. But the ethics committee at the university can't even participate in that because the blood work was so bad on kibble and had gotten so much better on our food that they didn't want to do it. It was literally presented to me as if kibble had never been invented and everybody fed their dogs whole food diets like what we make. And that's just been around for 50 years. And a guy named Sean Buckley came up and said, I have this new invention and I want to do a feeding trial. And it's called kibble and it's a little pellet. And they were to start feeding dogs this little brown pellet. And the blood work did. It the, went in the direction of where these dogs started with their blood work. They would have had to pull the plug on the test. That's how bad it is. So people should, they shouldn't, they don't have to buy food from anybody, including us. They can just make it. They can make it once a month. They can make it once a month, put it in the freezer. This is the way all people should just be feeding their dogs. And if they prefer to buy it because they don't want to make it, great. I'd love to sell you food. But this is one of the reasons that we're the only pet food company in the United States that also gives away our intellectual property. Our recipes are free. And, you know, if somebody, I guess, copies us, then what are you going to do? Why did you decide to make your recipes public and free? Because if you make them open source, then people can make the food at home. And they don't have to guess if it's right. And it is right. We know it because we have the feeding trials to prove it. So 
They can make it at home. They can go to the supermarket, buy everything they need, and they can make it, and their dogs will, their, their, the life of their dog will change, for sure. How soon after launching Just Food for Dogs did you start creating cat food? That's a great question. I think it was the third year, and, uh, but I will say this. It only took a few months after we started for people to start saying, where's the cat food, where's the cat food? We don't get, candidly, we don't get people out of the blue saying, I want to buy cat food. We get people that are already customers that have a dog and a cat saying, this changed my dog's life. My dog loves it. It's so much better, blah, 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 blah. Why can't I have this for my cat? And that's what, that's what drove it. Do you have cats or dogs? Or both? Uh, you or know, neither. I, I, I'm a, oh, no, no. I've always had d- d- dogs as an adult. Um, I've never had a cat. I'm allergic to dogs and cats, uh, but my immune system has really caught up over the past 20 years for the dogs. But cats, I still, like, can't <laughs> breathe when they're around, you know. Cats are cool, but, you know, I'm more of a dog person. Do you have a dog right now? Oh, yeah. I have a three-legged chihuahua named Marty. Yeah. I usually get dogs that are older or handicapped. Just because that's what's, the, the rescues have a hard time, you know, uh, pipples, handicapped dogs either blind uh, or they don't have the use of their legs or they're missing a leg or they can't hear. Those are the dogs that are the hardest to get rescued out. I read something about a land you bought to have these types of dogs on them. Yeah. Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, well, so um, that is the, um, my uh, primary business partner and myself are on a board. He formed and funded the, uh, the entire endeavor. And we bought a piece of land in Laguna Beach, which is a great part of Orange County. And I always tease him because like, you know, he's the kind of guy that isn't gonna buy a piece of land out in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's like, no, you, it's gotta be something <laughs> prime. really good. Prime, but it's not, it's kind of like just food for dogs. It, it's, it's not, in a way, it's not prime for the dogs, they don't care. But it's prime for us, the humans, because we want to adopt out as many of these dogs as possible. In order to do that, we've got to give you a place that you want to come. So we bought the land and we hired an architect over a year ago and a couple of veterinarians that specialize in shelter medicine because they are wicked smart when it comes to everything, the way it lays out and the colors that you use and the flooring. So when the dogs pee on the floor and you know it's all these you know, uh, building materials that are very specific and where the elevator has to go because the sick dogs have to go to the, the vet clinic and be able to, you know, come and go without contaminating other dogs. And it's, it's really pretty fascinating. Um, and so we hired a whole team and it's all done in the sense that it's designed and everything and now it's been turned into the city. So now we wait for the bureaucracy and then we'll be able to build. So we What think are you thinking timing-wise, yeah? We're thinking 18 months from now okay. is about you know, when it will be open. So it'll, it'll be, it'll be really cool. It's just for dogs that are older and or handicapped. So you just launched this partnership with Petco and you opened this beautiful, huge kitchen here in uh, New York city near union square. Can you talk about that and how that partnership came about? Yeah. Petco, they called us almost two years ago and asked us if we would uh, come down to their headquarters and meet with them. And we knew something was you know, up because of the, the nature of who was in the, in the meeting from their side, the CEO, the CFO, et cetera. It's a very large company. I think their sales are something like four and a half billion dollars. We're a very small company, you know, 
we don't rise to that level unless they're going to do something like that. And so we kind of figured that that's what it was because we honestly figured that was eventually going to happen. So we met with them. We really liked them. We went in honestly thinking, you know, multinational conglomerate, giant, heartless company that could care less about pets and only wants to make money. That's, that's how we went in. Very guarded, very ready to say no, you know. But at the end of the day, there were dogs all over the place and, you know, they're running in and out of the meeting. It was, it was pretty cool. So long story short, they asked us if we would put, you know, kitchens and pantries inside their stores, much the same way you might see a Starbucks inside of a grocery store sometimes. And uh, we agreed as long as, you know, it was all of our people trained by us, you know, we get to build the way we want to build, you know, total control, all of that. And they agreed to everything. And um, so the first kitchen is, yes, here in Manhattan, uh, in Union Square, and it's doing really, really well. That's the first kitchen inside of a Petco. There's always a line every time I walk in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we have our kitchens in San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles. Uh, we're in construction now in Chicago and Boston. Um, and so they all do really, really well, and, and so does the one in, in, Man, in here in Manhattan. So New Yorkers love their dogs, let's face it. <laughs> And so what do you recommend for people that travel a lot with their dogs? What's the best way to manage keeping the food fresh? Yeah, we do a thing now um, because we had so many people uh, when we started that had multiple homes or they go on vacation or just went camping or whatever. And it'd be a pain to have the frozen food. So we have a product that is inside what's called a Tetra Pack. So if you've ever been into like a Trader Joe's and you see there's like uh, chicken soup in like a little carton. You're, and you're thinking like, you know, it's like a little carton, but it's on the shelf. So how is that fresh? Right? It's not in a refrigerator or anything. So this is how it works. It's really actually pretty cool. And it's how we do our travel version of our recipes. You take all the ingredients and you put it inside the carton. Raw. So you got raw meat, raw vegetables, all human grade, USDA. And you seal the carton up with the raw ingredients inside. Then you cook the entire carton and everything in it at low temp under pressure. So that's how you're able to do it. That's why it doesn't have to be refrigerated until after it's opened. So we have a full line of our food that's, you know, nutritionally balanced in these little cartons that you can take while you travel. And what are your thoughts of the different food fads? So raw for one, we can start with that. Well, we're not big fans of raw, but if somebody said, if they asked me, you know, I'm only going to do one or two things, I'm only going to feed kibble or raw, I'd say feed raw. Generally speaking, it's riskier. Well, it's risky. I don't know if it's riskier, but it is risky because of the pathogens. But the ingredients are many times they are better quality, not always, than what goes into the kibble. So, yeah. What about dehydrated food where you add the water to reconstitute it? We had by, uh, you know, if you go to the Just Food for Dogs headquarters in Irvine, you know, uh, in some of our offices, we have the dehydrated line of Just Food for Dogs. You know, the the packaging, everything, it's all done. It's never hit the market and it never will because (laughs) we're pretty smart when it comes to one thing, which is pet food. And we have a board certified veterinary toxicologist, we have a board certified veterinary nutritionist, we have, you know, Dr. Chavez, a professor in clinical canine nutrition. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's anybody in the world that knows how to turn whole food into pet food better than we do. I don't know who it would be. 
And we could not make that work. Why? Because when you go through the dehydration process, it kills off sensitive nutrients. Just one example would be vitamin D. And if you try to add it back after the dehydration process is done, dogs don't want to eat it because it's a powder. It smells like what it is, nutrients. But see, here is a key. And I would say, of anything we're talking about today, this is, in my opinion, the most important takeaway if you're a pet parent. And that is, in our business, in pet food processing, pet food manufacturing, whatever you want to call it, we are allowed to take all the ingredients and measure the nutrition of those ingredients before and only before we process or do anything to it. So if, you're, if I take the ingredients and I measure the nutritional value and then turn it into kibble, I can tell you on the backside of that, it is not the same. Same thing for raw, which is limited processing. Same thing for dehydration. Same thing for what we do, which is lightly cooking. Now we test our product after we've cooked it and the nutritional values that we give are after it's been cooked. But the norm, the standard in this business is not that. So if somebody's making dehydrated food and they're able to make that so that it's nutritionally balanced after it's been dehydrated, I'd be stunned. And I'd welcome the information to know how that's done. And I've said that before in the media and no, de no, no company's dehydrated. <laughs> nobody's taken me up on it yet, but maybe at some points, maybe just nobody listens to me. But, um, but nobody's taken me up on it yet. Do other pet food companies say when they do the testing before or after? Are you the only ones that talk about that? I am unaware of anyone else that tests after they process the, the food. Yeah. I'm also, like I said, unaware of any other pet food company that teaches a nutrition course to one at any, any university in the United States. I'm unaware of any pet food company that gives away their intellectual property and invites people to make their recipes on their own. I'm unaware of the level of transparency that would invite a customer into to a kitchen where they can see it being made. You know, we have a large commissary kitchen in Irvine, California, and we're building one in Delaware. And while we don't sell things from them, if anybody, you have to let us know, but if you want to take a tour, you can take a tour. It's 20,000 square feet of, you know, fresh vegetables and ground meat, just like you'd feed your family, you know, and people can see it. What's next for you guys? Uh, we're we're going to continue to open a large number of uh, pantries. We have kitchens, what we call kitchens and pantries. And a pantry is just a small version of our, uh, of a, well, of a kitchen without a kitchen. I don't know how else to describe it other than it's retail. We have freezers and refrigerators and you can buy the food fresh and, uh, but you can't, you can't see people making the food right there. They're usually, not usually, they're always close to a kitchen because then the kitchen is nearby where the food is actually made. So you know, here we're in the heart of Manhattan, I guess. But if you were in Brooklyn, for example, there's no kitchen, but there's a kitchen in Union Square. So your food's made in Union Square and it's sent over at night in refrigerated trucks. So we'll continue to open hundreds more. We have about 145 units now. Um, we'll open several hundred more and um, we'll triple down, if you will, on our vet pantries. So we have pantries inside of Petco. 
We have some of our own standalone pantries, and then we have pantries inside of uh, veterinary hospitals. Um, and those are our most successful pantries, actually. How do you test for what the dogs and cats will like? I'm just like envisioning <laughs> all these cute dogs running up to bowls of food. How do you test for that piece? Uh, without them all being in the same place at the same time, it's pretty much as you described. You know, that's the easiest thing to test, palatability. Okay. Um, and we usually use, we have about a little over 300 employees now. And, um, and so, you know, they'll take the food home and they'll videotape, you know, the, uh, the dogs and, you know, make notes and, you know. And we've done, we've had some that have failed. Uh, we've had two cat recipes that just tanked. Yeah, they seem like, they, seem like they were going to work great, but cats are so picky. Are we cats pickier than dogs? Much bigger really? than dogs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cats are very difficult, but there's so many of them. So a useless factoid of the day is that every country in the world has more cats than dogs, except one. Don't ask me why, but that's Brazil. They have more dogs than cats. They're the only country in the world. So there's a lot of cats. There's more cats in the United States than there are dogs by about eight or nine million. Is it because there's a lot of stray cats that repopulate? or Well, no, it? those are feral cats. So, those so they're, don't, not they're, they're not even counted. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I figured that was making no, up the bulk No, no. I think there's just a lot of uh, cat people in hiding or something, you know? <laughs> Maybe they just have a lot of cats. They're closet cat people. Or they have six each. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so what can you tell us about the DCM issue that so many pets are having health issues with? Yeah, well, for starters, I'm not a veterinarian. Um, we have a bunch, but I'm not one of them. And so I'm around it all of the time and we're monitoring it as are the universities that we work with. But it's, it's dilated cardiomyopathy and specifically it's taurine deficient dilated cardiomyopathy. And... Um, it seems to be that it's coming from certain brands of food. The FDA released a list, which is rare for them. Somebody even told me it sparked a lawsuit. I don't know much about that, but specific brands like, and I'm only, I don't typically talk about brands, but the FDA just released this. Um, and the, the, at the top of the list or near the top of the list was Akana and Origin, um, where they're seeing health issues, risk of DCM in dogs that would normally not be suffering from the disease, which is, you know, enlarged heart and so on. So I'm not sure that gives you much information other than the fact that most veterinarians are recommending that you make food at home or that you go to uh, any brand of food that has gone through feeding trials because, and it's not just ours, if any brand that's gone through feeding trials, you would see in the blood work the problem, the, the DCM issue arise during the period of time that you were in the feeding trial. So most brands don't do feeding trials. The overwhelming, in fact, I only know of five in the United States, and that includes us, us and four others. Um, almost no other brands and none on the list that the FDA released have gone through feeding trials. Now, the public, a lot of times, is under the assumption that the food that they're feeding their dog has been tested in some way. And in almost no cases is that true. That's crazy. What does the feeding trial entail? A feeding trial, well, it gets pretty esoteric. What's required 
is one thing. I, I, I'm to, to, in order to say, it's not required, but in order to say that you've done a feeding trial, then there's a protocol. Following that protocol is one level. Then there's another level, which is what we did, which is the level that if you're going to do it, you should do it. You shouldn't do it for six months. That's all that is in the protocol. The protocol requires six dogs. In fact, they only require that four dogs finish it. There's no real word on what happened to the other two dogs. Um, these are weird rules. This is why we went to a major university and said, help us create a protocol. And so uh, what we did was we tested for a year instead of six months. We tested what's called a CBC, a complete blood count, instead of just four blood parameters, because that's all that's required on the AFCO feeding trial. Um, and we used 36 dogs instead of six. Yeah, so it's, you know, um, that's, you, you know, it, what's required. Now, uh, we're the only company that we know of in the United States that's ever done a feeding trial the way we did it. Uh, we called Dr. William Burkholder at the FDA and said that we want to do a feeding trial. We're looking into the protocol. The protocol calls for us to use caged, purpose-bred dogs that was not in keeping with who we are. We, these are dogs that are generally born in captivity. Sometimes they die in captivity. Um, they're, uh, you know, obviously well-fed and so on, but these are not happy dogs that go home. They don't know what a ball is. They don't know what a toy is. We asked the question was, is there a way for us to create a protocol where these, we can use dogs that are pet dogs? And he, thought off the top of his head that there'd probably be no rule against that and he would get back to us in a week. And he did. Uh, and he got back to Dr. Chavez and said, sure enough, if you want to do it this way, you can. It's going to take you longer and it's going to cost you more, but you can do it. And we did. And so we, after that, we, um, we also made it open source. So we sent out a press release that said, we've created a new protocol. You don't have to do any of the groundwork. If you want to test your food, and you don't want to use purpose-bred dogs in cages, then you can call um, Cal Poly Pomona Animal Health Sciences or Western University Veterinary College, and they will hand over the protocol, no charge to you. One company in the pet food business made a call, and they had a couple of discussions, and then uh, they never executed their feeding trials that way. I don't know if they executed them in any other way but they inquired about it and that's it. It's been years. So it's, it's just not something that pet food companies are tuned into. You know, they're just making food and putting it in bags and selling it and making a profit. It seems like you guys are so different from every other pet food company on so many levels. What do you think is at the heart of that? Honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, we truly love pets and we, we do what is best for them. We don't do what is best for how we look or how much money we make or something like that. There is, you can, we are a for-profit company. We're not a non-profit company, but it's not that hard to do the right thing. It, it just takes a little longer. You know, you've got to make some, you know, extra effort. You've got to ask questions. You know, the FDA has been around a long time. As far as I know, Dr. William Burkholder has never gotten a phone call like ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I would know if anybody else, you know, decided to do feeding trials in a manner that did not utilize 
caged dogs. That's just one example, but a lot of extra effort, not mine. Dr. Chavez, Dr. Scheibe, uh, they, they did a lot of work on this, a lot of extra work, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank you for all you're doing for our pets. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. That was Sean Buckley, founder of Just Food for Dogs, the world's first pet food kitchen serving fresh whole foods to cats and dogs around the country, and the only pet food that has been proven healthy through extensive research trials. To learn more and to order for your pet, visit justfoodfordogs.com. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us a five-star review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon.